everyone, welcome to Bookversations. We're your hosts, Sayed, and I'm Mahmouda. Join us as we have conversations inspired by books. Hi everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Bookversations. This episode's conversation is inspired by Trevor Noah's memoir, Born a Crime. Just a little bit of a, what do you call it, disclaimer. We've tried to record this episode. Is this our third time? Third time lucky. All roads lead to success. I hope so, because I don't know what it is. Every time something happens with the audio. So let's hope it comes, let's hope it comes out right this time. Inshallah. Okay, so let's get into our overall thoughts about the book. Do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I actually really love this book. I, I I have a vivid memory of the first I listened to, and it was because you recommended it. I remember, and I was when I was in placement in Oxford, and people would see me at work laughing because they were wondering what's this one laughing at. But listening to the audio because he, I love because I tried reading it because I also have a copy of the book, but I love the way he reads it, the way he narrates it, and how he embodies like the voice of everybody when he like. When he's talking about different characters and what is their voice in in the narration, I really enjoyed it. I think something that stood out for me throughout the book as well was his mom. His mom is absolutely amazing. Like she's my favorite person. Do you remember when I was like, I want to be Patricia Noah's daughter-in-law? Yeah, yeah, I remember. Anyway, I remember that. But yeah, she was amazing. Or oh, she is amazing, and it's just the. F- I think one thing that stood out to me, or one of the many things that stood out to me, was her consciousness in raising her children. And for her, it was such an intentional process. She was never once condescending as how some people are, or like authoritarian, as in do as do as I say, and then no explanation. She treated him like an adult. But then one thing I loved was there was always respect. He still respected her. And that's, I think that shows you that you don't need force and you don't need all of brandishing your power in front of someone's face to get respect from them. It's earned. I'm going to add this to our conversation point about like, should you, should you spank or beat your children? Because there's so much discussion around it now. And I feel like beforehand I had a different opinion, but now I've changed my opinion. So yeah, I'll, I'll add it to our um, conversation. That's interesting. I but I also loved her relationship with God. Her faith in God was unwavering. And you see that from throughout the book, from start to finish. Um, and I remember the first time I read it, I was very reflective on just where I was in terms of my relationship with God, which has come a long way. But I would definitely say this book influenced that thought process in general, in terms of what it means to really have tawakul, like to have trust in God. Even in the bleakest of times, she's like, when God is with me, that's all that matters. Literally. It's so interesting, right? It's and so powerful. Through all of her experiences, it shows you how powerful faith is, right? Because God sees her through every single time. Yeah. And even when she goes through like really, really bad stuff, where for someone else, it might be like, that's it, that's too much, I can't deal. That faith never leaves her. She never once says, oh, it's God's fault, I'm doing, I'm going through this, or I've worshipped God so much. Yes, look at where I am. She was constantly thankful, constantly worshipping constantly looking at other perspectives other ways to see things that always glorified god i think she's the face of making like empowering choices about your life not just looking at your circumstances and be limited by it but think what is the best choice Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. every single time every even in the worst case scenario she found the good crazy but yeah anyways what were your thoughts about 
the book. I agree with what you said. You have to listen to this book. Like, there's no other way. I feel like your introduction to it has to be listening because it's, it's very different when you're reading it. And because it's our third time, first of all, it's so rare for you to find books that can, you can read three times and not be bored out of your mind. So, and still enjoy every single time you read it. Legit, when I finished reading it this third time, I cried at the end. Remember that you cried at the end all the time, please. It just gets me. <laughs> it just gets me because I'm so emotional and I'm like oh my god even though I already know what's happening but I just it's so well written and I remember today I realized I don't actually have a hardback of it and I was like I need to buy a hardback worth it right it's worth it it's a book that I would want to give to my kids it's a book I'd want to give boys as well because there's something unique about the way she raises her sons we'll talk about that later but it's, it's a book I would recommend giving to boys men and so on but anyways carry on I listened to it probably my retake here and like you said I would be I'd be on the train like walking and getting grocery or whatever it was and just like stopping in the middle of the road just thinking oh my god what's happening now like this book has you on the edge of your seat I think it's also really Mm -hmm. a lot of the times when you read memoirs sometimes it's a hit and miss and I feel like with this with this one you really, really do get insight into what made Trevor the man and kudos to him for sharing so much of his life. There is so much content right from his childhood to adulthood. And I think this time when I was reading it, I I was reading it with fresh eyes, just having a perspective of just how hard life was for him growing up. And I think obviously he underplays it now. And mashallah, he's incredibly successful. But I think this time reading it, I'd really, i do have a different appreciation for his childhood and the poverty that he had to live through because of apartheid. And then the situation that they had with his mom's husband, like it was just from frying pan to fire to whatever goes beyond fire. Exactly, basically. exactly. And to be where he is right now, I think that is so, so, so inspirational. So even just for that, I would say read it. I think it's testament to how his mom raised him as well. Because she... You know, they say kids, they, they do as they see you doing. They don't do what you tell them to do. They do what they see you doing. And if he sees his mom constantly trying, never backing down, she's resilient. She shows up. She is always communicating, always taking action. When you see that constantly, it rubs off on you. you especially in the fact that she also doesn't use... Yeah, exactly. Especially in the fact that she doesn't also use her power to abuse him. Like she doesn't abuse the power that she has in terms of her being a parent ever. And I think that kind of also shapes the way he grows up. It's just something like when I have a setback, nothing is impossible. The way she's lived her life, that's what it shows you, right? Nothing is impossible. So you keep trying. Yeah. And also the power of love, because I think what I really love is the communal aspect of like all of them. You know, when he was talking about the process of building your house in in that area of South Africa at that time of like you're living in a two two room house. And so like a lot of family members are literally sleeping in the same room. You're surrounded by cousins, like grandmothers. And I think that... That makes a world of a difference as well. Secure attachment child. That's a child that has that grows with a secure attachment. Because you, you know that whenever something happens to you, there will always be someone around that will be there for you. It's so sense, funny though, anyway. when his grandmother, when his grandmother said he couldn't, dis- she couldn't discipline Trevor because he's white, but she could discipline all the other grandchildren. And she was like, other black children can take it, but he's white. Do you remember the part in the book where the, they look at the black and white camera and they're looking for the boy who was the shoplift or something? I was laughing. This was literally brought away with so much. And I think that's so the other much. thing that's great about the book because 
going back and writing about yourself as a child sometimes some writers find it difficult to really get that voice but right from the opening when his mm-hmm. mother threw him out the car he got the voice really well of his like childhood of being but a child and I think it also shows you a lot of vulnerability that's why not I don't think everyone can tap into that place of showing you the, the quote-unquote bad side and the vulnerable side and the things that they did wrong if especially if you have an element of shame attached to it and I think once you're able to free yourself from the shackles of that it makes it easier to dig into that space and oh then... there's a really good quote on what you oh I found it I found it it says I was blessed with another trait I inherited from my mother her ability to, for- to forget the pain in life I remember the thing that caused the trauma but I don't hold on to the trauma I never let the memory of something painful prevent me from trying something new so he is quite emotionally intelligent yeah and he doesn't hold on to stuff i think that comes from his mom because she doesn't hold on to a lot of things that's why she's able to move on and carry on and not like she and i think he also inherited that thing of like not holding on to a situation it didn't work out okay we move his mom was such a logical straightforward person i want this child to be this i'm gonna be with this man so i can have a college she was very very intentional in the decision making processes it was very interesting to see. that's a good gateway to like the first conversation which is literally the title of this book born a crime because it is centered around growing up as a mixed race child in apartheid and even just like what you were saying about her being just very logical about things this was a crime that she could be punished for for five years like if you were if you were found out and all the little tricks that they had to go through to disguise the fact that she was having the maid who looks colors and they'll think is that lady's child so many funny stories reading this and it just like it makes you think for a woman and it, it gives you an insight into how confident and I love that like conviction that you have yeah, to have in your is, right to realize that you could be sent to prison for for this but just thinking to yourself I want to have a child and this is who I want to have my child with and that's just what it's going to be like she had to convince the man to have the child with her well you know what this reminds me of when I was reading this now in in this context now I kept drawing parallels to Ada from Buchimetra to second class citizen in terms of just the resilience that that mm. she had or just the resilience a lot of women well, maybe we, we don't see that enough in fiction I personally think but a lot of women have such resilience that I've, I've read about stuff like a man will tell you how if not for his wife he wouldn't have done this thing if not for his wife believing in him doing this actually very small example Ryan Holiday sent a newsletter a couple of weeks ago about his okay. bookshop and how if not for his wife he wouldn't have something along the lines carried on this idea of starting a bookshop in their, in their little village right and you know how they always carry on that rubbish quote behind every man is a woman. I do think it's a rubbish quote. Anyway, <laughs> I think it's a rubbish quote because I feel I didn't like I didn't like that when we talk about women, especially the ones who are quote unquote again strong, it's always in relation to men. Why can't they just be amazing people who stop in their own right um, and acknowledge what they've done, but not in relation to some man? Anyway, I get what you mean. I get what you mean. Um, yeah. But it's also quite interesting. It, as well to show you how like a woman supports and plays a role uh, you can do well and so on but then there's just reasons why i don't like the quotes anyway but yeah back to apartheid south africa yes. sorry yeah. uh, no no yeah no so i just thought like you know right from the onset of reading the book you get an insight into how fearless that she was like the story that we're talking about on how she was in the car with a what do you call it a car driver or bus driver that she knew potentially wanted to kill her and her child and just that like split second decision that she could make or even rape her i'm going to survive yeah how many people can make that decision of throwing their child out of a bus she's confident that he was going to be okay and she had a baby in her hand did she not 
Huh? You shouldn't have a baby. You shouldn't have a baby because remember, it was it wasn't exactly. just she had Andrew right? and the younger brother. Exactly. I think one of the things that I really like about this book is even though it is about his, it's about his personal life. You really do get insight into the historical and the political things that were happening around the time. And one thing that I wanted to bring up when he was talking about how apartheid was able to operate for so long and the division between people. So when he was talking about how um, for it to be implemented, you needed to create division in people. And so that point that he was making about the two dominant groups in South, South Africa, the Zulu and the Sosa. So the idea of like Zulu people are known as being warriors and then the other group are known as being thinkers and how often that becomes, it's not its not just stuff that you, you say in conversation, but it then becomes things that entrench hatred between people. And the reason why I want to mm. bring that up is because I think of like, even now, sometimes in our conversation, and I say this particularly about Nigerians, we let a lot of generalizations slide by a lot. Like people will be like, oh, this particular group is greedy. Someone said something ridiculous to me about the other day saying, oh, I feel like I'm every auntie's worst nightmare. That's one of, one of the ways I describe myself these days. Because some auntie was saying how somebody had a housemaid that was from a specific tribe. And that's why she had told all of her aunt, her family must not be taking made from that tribe because of them they always steal i said so it's your own tribe you you're a woman i don't steal because everybody their own it doesn't make sense we do that a lot it's it's so sad immediately they'll be like oh this 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 person from this place does this and that's how you see every single person who comes from there is it's and we also do that here in the uk like nigerian community will look at another community and say oh these ones are this way when my auntie was talking to me two years ago for example about her husband it didn't matter that this other group she's talking about were black. For her, it's like, ah, don't bring these people from this country because none of them, they always act like this way. They really do their hair somehow. I'm just like... I hate that too. I hate that too. I'm just like... Or oh, they'll say everyone who has dreads are unserious. Oh my God. The other day, my mom was telling me. <laughs> I don't know how many times I have to have this conversation. I don't know how many times I have to have this conversation. And she was like, just cut your hair. I said, I'm not cutting anything. Why did she tell you to cut your hair? Oh, because we have dreads oh, in it. With a passion. Oh my god. Of she course it does. Like, my mom hates it as well. Oh That's why I told god. her when I was going to do it. I made sure I told her. I said, I'm going to do locks. So if I do that, I said absolutely yes. Even that name. Even that name. They just don't get it. They don't get it. But anyway, back to the conversation. You don't realize when I was reading the book how it wasn't that long ago when apartheid fell. Like I literally had to check and it fell in 1984, which was yeah, before I was born. And I think, again, what I love about this book is how, how Trevor just exposes how illogical racism is, how illogical the whole process is, but also the repercussions of black people in society. Yeah, like in terms of poverty, the segregation, the, the delineation of where people can be, the access to education. You know, I have a good cry about how like you treat someone some type of way because you can't see them. And for example, if the investment banker, for example, saw the impact of what he did, yes, like on the people he was doing it to, would he actually still do this on a daily basis? Ah, let me read it. I love that quote so much. In society, we do horrible things to one another because we don't see the person effects. We don't see their face. We don't see them as people, which was the whole reason the hood was built in the first place, to keep the victims of apartheid out of sight and out of mind. Because if white people ever saw black people as human, they would see that slavery is unconscionable. We live in a world where we don't see the ramifications of what we do to others because we don't live with them. It would be a lot, a whole lot harder for an investment banker to rip off people with subprime mortgages if he actually had to live with the people he was ripping off. If we could see one another's pain and empathize with one another, it would never be worth it for us to commit. It wouldn't. It would never be worth it to us to commit the crimes in the first place. 
I love the quote, but I actually disagree with it. I disagree with aspects of it as well. As you were reading it, I was like, mm. But then I also liked that point because it's it's true to an extent. Mm. It is true to an extent. And I remember I was in the book class telling you about, for example, somebody was saying when people come to, so she's a tour guide in one of those places that used to be slavery sites in, in the States. And she was like, people would come there and they were like, yeah, I know slavery was serious, but weren't there any good slave owners, for example? It's a white person that asks questions like this. And then she was like, as much as what she wants to say to them is, can you imagine someone kidnapping your child and then because they treat them right and give them food, would you still think that's okay? Well, but she's not allowed to say that to them. So she, she has to say it in a nice and educated way. Wait, why isn't she allowed right? to say that to them? Because it's professionals find a professional way to say it to them, basically. Well, she not in that way. way. Apparently it's sassy. Uh, yeah, but it's her job. Okay. <laughs> but what I was thinking about when I was reading that was that the way that we talk about slavery, for example, to an extent, I think some people, because they don't see, quote unquote, see how it, what it was, right? For them, it's the thing that's happening, but they don't see it, right? So it doesn't really, it's not really something that concerns them to the point of let's go and work on getting rid of this. I mean, yes, there were people who were fighting against slavery, for example, and fighting against racism, but I get the point of sort of what he means in the sense of when you don't see something, you don't think about how much of a problem this is. Another example, we had a racism conversation in one of my, in my old junior, right? And this white guy, one of the first things he said was, I don't think, I don't know, I don't see why it's such a big deal. Racism wow. is such a big deal, uh-huh. and obviously me, I'm just there, like I'm not, I'm not engaging because I know that I didn't have the, I didn't have the mental capacity to engage. But there was another lady there who was the only other person that was not white in this group. It was very kind and was explaining, and that like perhaps it's because he comes from a place that's been all white, a circle of friends all white, and he's never seen. I mean, in 2021, for God's sake, or 2020 in December, but still, that's that's just that's the thing, right? So I'm saying when you don't see the impact of something to an extent. It's very easy to turn a blind eye to it and be like, it doesn't concern me. It's not that big a deal. Why are they even, like, why are they talking about this in such a big way? Right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I see, I see what it means, what he's saying. But then again, think about those people though, who had slaves, who actively hit or beat their slaves. We're well, not seeing the impact of what they were doing. The ones who were going on to, and so on and so on, to commit atrocities, right? So whilst I agree to an extent, I feel like there is a point where it's more than just that. It's more than just not being able to see um, what, what the person is doing or the impact of what the person is doing. Because I feel like, for example, this investment banker example, if, if, my, if I care about money more, even if exactly. I see the impact, I can still turn a blind eye and be thinking about the money I'm going to go and spend. I can create a new friend story in my head to convince Thank myself you. that, but it's just a job. That's it's not it. my fault. I'm working for a company. The company's business, not I my have business. Buy. So, like, people do all sorts of crazy stuff nowadays and they justify it even if people are suffering are here. I mean, let's talk about, first of all, this is so funny. There's an MP right now that's complaining about how £82,000 a year oh God, I saw that. salary to live on. But at the same time, you're the, you're the person that's expecting people to live on, what did they cut universal credit to recently? Like, abominable numbers. And you, you look at those kind of... It's people. a number that you cannot even use to pay anything. You can't pay rent. It's only for groceries. And it's so funny. I'm like, how do you operate on that level of just disassociation or dissonance where for you, it's 2000 is not, is not enough to live on, but you have so much cruelty, lack of understanding. Like I was, I was, um, I've been seeing videos recently in my timeline of just the state of social housing in this country. We, I'm telling you, the Tories are going to run this country to the ground. Anyways, I've just, I've given up on Britain. 
But I, I get what he is saying about how it does make it easier. It makes it easier if the people that are suffering the consequences of your actions are not in your remote proximity. Yeah. yeah. It's very easy to like then harden your heart and turn a blind eye and so on. Because, and, and that goes for like when people talk about, what's the word? I forgot the word. You know how, for example, we talk about like people that Apple and how they go all the way to the Congos to go and get that metal mm-hmm. that they need and stuff like that. And the kind of destruction that happens, or even those who work in all companies, for example. Again, I get it, business, money, family, all of that, responsibilities. But they, when you dig deeper, there is that bigger picture of how is this thing being sourced, right? And it's that mm-hmm. thing again, and when there's the distance you don't see, then you don't really care. So yeah, I, I do understand. You don't even have to think about it. The money is coming, the money is coming. Taking it back to apartheid and racism, when you were talking about um about slave owners, but that's the thing, it does go back to belief because there is an entrenched belief of being more superior and these people being deservedly slaves, being deserved in the position that they're in. I think those are things that we have to be careful of, of the of the different ways supremacist ideas infiltrate our society. But you know what was interesting? There was one thing that I did disagree with, even though I admired it. So Trevor grows up being able to speak a lot of languages, which meant he could navigate different groups. And he makes a point about how being able to speak different languages allows you to cross boundaries or kind of... Yeah, I remember that. I remember that point. How like language is the thing that unites people as opposed to... I also get that to an extent. I get it in the context of South African apartheid at that time. I get it in the context of certain situations as well. When you think about when people go to non-English speaking European countries, yes. you see how people gravitate towards other people who identify as quote unquote experts, even when they're not of the same skin color. Because the thing that unites them is the fact that they all speak English. So I get I get that context. But again, it depends on the context in which you apply it to. That's the thing. I wouldn't say that for Britain, for example. Because exactly. Because I do get the power of language. Like, you know how sometimes your brother will see an English person that can speak your around and then it's like, we fawn over there. And then like, it's cute. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. <laughs> it's cute. And even, even for me, like, for example, I'm learning Spanish, I'm learning Korean. It's to some extent, it's so that you can experience the culture a little bit better through the language i i do understand what he's saying about how language allows you to break down certain barriers but i do think there are limitations when the reason when the racism isn't about there are certain cultural ideological barriers that i think takes more than language to break down but yeah just to kind of wrap up this conversation it's just this idea of how this book would not exist if patricia noah did not this didn't decide to like subvert the law that existed at the time and how people find different ways of challenging oppression and injustice yeah, laws are irrational. Even if it's in the little decisions that they make in their personal lives, that's the thing. Well, little, but it's also significant because look at how this has come. Okay, so that leads us to the second conversation point, which is how Trevor Noah talks about how obviously this is his memoir. And he says he didn't realize at the end that it was actually, it did, he didn't realize until the end that it's actually a love letter to his mother. So cute. I know. I'm like, I don't use the word stan, but if I was a stan, I would be a Patricia Noah stan. Like, come on. Because every okay. time I read it, I, just, I, I, I hate just, that term stan. I know, so I hate much, it. People have, <laughs> people have caught up today. I'm sorry, because stans behave like crazy human beings. Yeah. <laughs> and their idols yeah. can do no wrong, yeah. which I hate. What did you take away? I loved one of my favorite things about her was the letter that she used to write to Trevor. Yes. Every time I did something wrong, she wrote him a letter. Then it's responded a letter. And then oh, I, I just love that because I think she taught him, I think he says it in the book as well. She taught him to think. 
for himself. He, she taught him to not just follow rules. She taught him to ask questions. I also loved how she raised him to, to think about women or to view women. Remember that part in the book where he talks about she would pick it up in the little things, like she, she would call it, it would call her attention and she'd be like, look at me when you're talking to me. I want you to see me. Don't only come to me when you need something. I need you to see me. Women like to be seen and you need, oh, it was just, sometimes I'm like, is this appropriate? But then also, I think it's just like, you do have to, you do have to teach your children. That's how you teach it. Is it all these entitled boys, men, you see, I don't know what to call them, men, children. You see parade in the world and that is that what you want to see? Versus no, I'm sorry. No, someone sorry. that's a bit exactly. She was just so conscious about how she was raising him and like the kind of man she wanted him to be. Like he was still naughty and he still oh, you know what's so funny? When he was talking about he would challenge rules and how if the rules didn't make sense, his mom would back him up. I actually thought that was so interesting. Exactly. How many parents would back their kids up in school? We don't even listen to it. So just say you're being naughty because you're, you're breaking the rules and that's that and that's the end of the story. How many children have we sent to detention for being naughty, for being rude, just because they questioned the teacher or because they disagreed with what a teacher said and it's not in a rude way, just because they ask questions. I remember one time when I was in secondary school, this boy was questioning the teacher. Just say, I can't answer your question. I just say, we don't want to have this conversation. She starts crying crying i'm not joking she was crying and i get it they were arguing it wasn't even a serious argument it was about the movie 2012 when they said the world was going to end that was the one that was the one that came and laughed the most because i i don't understand because i've been tutoring for ages i one thing i've noticed that a lot of kids that parents would say or teachers would say oh they're so stubborn and they're so this is because they just want to be heard and they're not being heard and i also think one thing parents need to understand is that people have totally different personalities and I think sometimes we don't give room to somebody who comes across as like, what's the word? As overly, quote unquote, overly confident. Like if it's a child who, is, who will say, no, I don't want to do this. People will say he's rude. But it's just, he knows what he wants and what he doesn't want, right? And that's okay. It's okay for a child to say, no, I don't want something. But again, it's like someone's older than you and they're telling you to do something. How dare you say, no, I don't want to. Or, or, or why should I do this thing? And then they be like, how dare you question my authority? But no, just tell the child why or why not. That's that's all they're asking for. And then it becomes you're rude. Why are you questioning me? Can't I tell you to do something? But yeah, um, anyways, sorry. The approach of parenting children as growing up from an early, early age is really important, is really interesting to me. So let me, let's get onto this point that the question that I want to ask earlier about, do you believe in spanking children? Because obviously Trevor got you know, spanks from his mother. But you know the point that you were making about just giving children the space to be adult or the space to make up their mind, the space to like make mistakes, the space to be... I just, I don't want them to be adult. Yeah, just I want you to give them the space to identify that they're as individuals. individuals. I don't like yeah. a lot of parents make, treat kids as if the kids are an extension of themselves and they own that child. Therefore, the child cannot decide and do do and do, do unless it's in what they want, right? And I think that's bad because you have a child that's going to grow up and not be able to think for themselves. They'll be in the room and they will not speak. Why? Because the fear of being wrong. they've always been, exactly, I or before of saying, of challenging authorities. I had that when I was younger and I, I just said, no, go for a bit back then. This is not a way to live. But it came from how I was I was raised because I used to talk a lot when I was younger and I used to ask a lot of questions. And over time I stopped talking because I would get told off by adults a lot that I talk too much. I asked too many questions. Why am I always asking? Till today my mom says that to me. Literally just give us two minutes into a conversation. My mom would tell me, 
she's not talking to, she's not having anymore because she knows me. I'll start asking questions. Why didn't I study more? Why didn't I become a lawyer? Why am I always asking why? Oh, and, I get that too. Just, <laughs> Everyone tells me I should have been a lawyer. But it's just, I just want to know why you're saying, or like when someone says something and I'm like, you can't come to those conclusions. You have to give me your evidence and stuff like that. But a lot of adults don't like being challenged. And, and that's the thing, they, they do that. They project that onto kids. And when you raise your kids to be like that, you then find that in, in class, they can't challenge stuff that's wrong. And I think about this in terms of abuse as well. Yeah. And again, fine line, but you find a lot of people who speak up and say that they were abused when they were younger, but they couldn't speak to their parents or their carer about it because, again, they were abused by someone who was older. Mm-hmm. And there's already this frame of mind of the person who's older is always right. So whose words are they going to take? My words or this person who's heard those words? And sometimes that actually stops people from speaking up when something is being done to them. Um, so that's just, it's just in those things. In the way, I'm not saying don't correct your child, but I'm just saying just give them room to also be and to also be able to have an opinion. You can tell them when something is wrong, but if I can't even express an opinion to you, then how do you get to engage with me to show me and enlighten me but that's the thing. I feel like we need to grow and evolve in the ways we think we we should correct children. And it's so interesting because I feel like, mm-hmm. I mean, we got beat when we were younger. And I mean, beat, beat. And like, my are, mom had a cane in every corner of the house. Boy, every corner. If I start speaking. Anyway, later on, I was growing up, I was like, okay, I'm against the beating. Spanking mm-hmm. is okay. But now I've completely changed. I don't, inshallah, I hope I never... Like, my children you know in psychology they say you're allowed to but there's a way to do it there's a there's like there's also there's a way for like different age ranges as well and it's like the i think it's the when it's extreme extreme and it's not something like you hit them hit them because a lot of people adults when they're hitting kids they're not just hitting you for what you did they're hitting you based on the anger in their chest and the stress on their mind and the fact that how dare you put me through this as opposed to it's not a punishment that's worthy of the crime committed and that's like kind of in psychology, it's psychology is more something that's worthy of the, I mean, some people will probably dispute it still, but it is a thing in psychology where you can, but there's a way that they do it for different age groups. And there's a point where you can, and again, ensure that the crime and the punishment is commensurate. Like what you're given is what they deserve because of that thing that they did. Mm. And also don't spank without explanation. So I'm spanking you because, for example, you broke the plate. Right? I feel like you can do. I I honestly feel like you don't need to spank children. No, I don't think you need to. I don't think you need to either. But I'm saying in psychology, there's an explanation for the point where it could it could be done, right? Because they do identify that there are cultures who do it. There's a point where it could be done, right? All right, but it's the extreme. It's at the end, 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 right? But at the same time, as well, people spank kids and they don't tell them like the why, right? There's a difference between I spanked to you because you broke the cup, right? So you broke the cup, I beat you 20 strokes of skin, which I don't think warrants, it's just the cup. Versus I spanked you because you broke the cup. And this is why breaking the cup is not good. Because you're demolishing and the dirt and your parents spend money. But we don't you don't get the after, it's just the punishment, and that's that, right? Mm-hmm. I personally don't believe in um I don't believe in spanking kids. There's this Korean show that I stumbled on, I think like three weeks ago. And I genuinely, like literally one of my du'as is for this woman to write a book or do a series or whatever on like raising children. Mm-hmm. Because I've never seen that kind of parenting in my life. Her children are so mm-hmm. kind, so emotionally intelligent. It's like every time I watch it, I'm just like amazed. And it's not like they don't do childish stuff. I'm talking about like children that are like three years old, two years, one year. They're so mm-hmm. independent. 
so kind, so emotionally intelligent. They don't get spanked. But even like when they do wrong stuff, their parents never scream. Never. Like I'm ne- That's an important trait. You should not raise your raise your voice when you're talking to kids. But when you see like the eldest girl, like sometimes when her brothers do wild stuff that you like anyone would scream at, she's like, oh no. And like because <laughs> they have their like Korean name. Like, do you know we're just going to clean it up? There's no problem, it's no worries. But you know that behavior comes from the way their parents act with them. Like she just doesn't get that from the air. I don't know if it's Brandy Brown, but someone talked about I don't know who it was about how like Sometimes before you scream at a child or like before you reprimand them, think about the weight of what you're about to do. Like, is this thing because sometimes you don't understand the impact of like shouting on a child has on a child, and is that impact then worth this baby cup that was broken, this food that you can clean up, this spill that you can maybe it's a, it's a teaching moment, teach them how to clean up, how to clean up after themselves, correct them that they shouldn't do it next time. Like they'll create a mess and then clean it up. And their mom said something that was so interesting. She was like, the way she tries to speak to them is in the way, like when they do something wrong, like she wouldn't have a weird outburst with an adult. So there's no reason for her to do it with her children either. Even, she said, I have the conversations in my head so I don't have to say it out loud to them, which I thought was so interesting. So like, even if she's angry, she will have it. With she's her pausing to reflect. Yeah. Before she yeah. then reacts. It's again, it's important because kids absorb, right? I'm not going to remember the fact that you shouted at me and yes, you came and told me sorry. But then if that becomes a pattern of your behavior that you shout at me and you tell me sorry, it's dissociation for me right there because you're going to be shouting at me anyway. And then you're going to apologize, but it doesn't change anything because your apology doesn't affect your behavior. You're still going to treat me the same way. So it's very interesting. Like, Something I thought about as when I was reading the book was how she said to him, I chose to have you because I wanted something to love and something that would love you unconditionally in return. Like, I was just thinking about why people have kids and how people, how society kind of bash women who say they don't want children. And I think the wanting children, not wanting children, they're both selfish decisions. I want a child because I want someone, for example, to continue my lineage, someone who will call me mommy, someone whatever, right? Yeah. Someone else doesn't want a child because they enjoy life being single. They don't see themselves being a parent. Or literally, for literally whatever reason, or because they just want to enjoy life with their spouse, whatever. I think both are valid choices, right? But some people will have kids and then they will tell you that they hate their children. They don't want to have children because they didn't want to. It was just the thing that they felt like they had to do because of society. And I think it's so important to think about, like, at the end of the day, it's you that's going to be living the life and it's you that's going to be raising the kids. And it should be a, as much as possible, as much as possible, a conscious decision. Yeah, that's not to say even when it's conscious, there are not going to be times where things feel bad or there might not be things that you didn't expect that's going to happen. Um, which also speaks about like seeking out support systems or speak- seeking out what's available out there and being communicated with your spouse and so on. I mean, it's another different conversation entirely. But I just think it's a, just be conscious of this every step of the way as much as you can and the role that reading played in his life after reading so uh, the quote says if my mother had one goal it was in my mind my mother spoke to me like an adult which is unusual in south africa kids play with kids and adults adults talk to adults the adults supervise you but they don't get down on your level and talk to you my mom did all the time i was like her best friend she was always always telling me stories giving me lessons bible lessons especially she was big into psalms I had to read Psalms every day. She'd quiz me on it. What does the passage mean? What does it mean to you? How do you apply it to your life? That was every day of my life. My mom did what school didn't. She taught me how to think. I love that she always asked, what does that passage mean? What does it mean to you? Because a lot of times I've met a couple of kids who end up from tutoring. They they don't they they don't like reading. And I can under, I can see why sometimes. Because when you give them book and you engage with them, they actually are interested. 
But when they just left to read the book, they didn't want to read it. And I think again about like, yes, you sometimes parents give kids books like pastime, but how do you get them to start engaging with the book differently so that it, it takes, it elevates the reading experience for them? Because I mean, after asking a couple of times to a child, what does this passage mean to you? What does it, how do you apply it to your life? Subconsciously, when I read, when I approach a new book, I will be thinking about that as I'm reading. Because then when you ask me that question, I already know what I'm going to say to you. And I think that's something that's very interesting and also important. I think what's interesting from Patricia Noah, like the more that I think about it, is this idea that when a child is really young, you are their guide to life. Like you're shaping so much of who they are. They're like a blank slate. Then eventually you have to let them fly as well and let them be independent. When I think about him, when he was living in the hood, when he decided to leave the house because Abel, the stepfather, was really violent. And then her saying, actually, I respect your decision and you do have to leave because when she made that point of when he sees you, he sees your father and that. So it's an interesting relationship of like child and mother of her just understanding what her role was. And and she trusts him enough to be able to go out and be okay, right? I mean, oh my God, that jail story though. And he thought his mom didn't know. And he was in jail thinking he could get out by himself. I thought that was, yeah, that was a great reminder. Yeah. Parents, I think, will always be what, usually always be anchors in your life, usually, right? They will, they'll be there. But I think it's nice that they had a good boundary. And she, she, she didn't use this thing again of like, I'm your mother, do as I say. Mm. It's explain your actions, why. Even when they were disputing about, I don't want to go to, like, why should we go to church? God gave us, he was giving her <laughs> logical explanations. Even though she was disagreeing, she still allowed him to give his explanations, right? I know. I love how the book starts. I don't want to spoil it. She's what I would describe as such a woman of faith, like you've described. Like we see her relation with God right at the beginning. And at the end, it ends so perfectly with the manifesto. When I listened to the end, I was like, oh my God. I could not believe it. Same. I could not believe it. I don't want to spoil it because I feel like it's one of the best parts of the book when you need to read it. Don't spoil it because that was intense. It was a different, it was an experience. It was an experience. I recommend it. Okay. So based on the book, I said I would describe, like there are certain words that pop out about Trevor. Mischievous, funny curious intelligent so the question is if you were and like people that are listening to this episode think about it yourself at this point in your life if you are writing your own biography mm-hmm. what words would you use to describe yourself or do you think people would describe you with i think at some point you know what i think at some point everyone should write a memoir even if you don't publish it i just think it's i agree i agree i agree i so, agree yeah, that's one thing in the bag and i think journaling is great because journaling helps you to remember some key moments that you may forget or little things I, I just I value journaling a lot because it's just some things that you remember some tiny details oh my god I saw my what? my diary from where I saw my diary from 2010 oh, <laughs> my heart is <laughs> <Dead>. <laughs> it was dead where I was right and god I just I didn't even want to think about it I kept it though but I was just thinking oh my god sorry I said do you remember when we used to call ourselves Flygerians yeah I have so many names I used to call myself do you remember I don't know if you've ever remember my face and my email was called Little Miss Endowed yes you know how the band just sung I know <laughs> so endowed Mr. Endowed oh when you speak when you speak to teenagers you forget that you were once a teenager and you used to behave like that what was I thinking about Little Miss Endowed my god 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 will help us in this life anyway let's get on to favourite quotes it's quite a lot you already read some yeah we've already read some I think did we read my job is to feed your body feed your spirit and feed your mind I really like that one no we didn't but the regret one we haven't read do you want to read it? 
Yeah, I love yeah. that I can. I don't regret anything I've ever done in life. Any choice I've made, I'm consumed with regret for the things I didn't do, the choices I didn't make, the things I didn't say. I spend so much time being afraid of failure, afraid of re- rejection, but regret is the thing we should fear the most. Failure is an answer. Rejection is an answer. Regret is an in- eternal question you will never have the answer to. What if, if only, I wonder what would have. You will never, never know and will ha- haunt you for the rest of your days. And I agree. I just have this thing in my life where I just believe that I always think to myself, what's the worst that could happen? Apply for something, they will say, no, we move. Okay. <laughs> um, but I totally agree with that. There was this, I was listening to, I said what I said, and Odwaya, who is, what's she, Piggy Vest? The founder of Piggy Vest? Um, she was just telling her story and she's she's had so many businesses and she said something. She said, I'm not afraid to fail. And I just love that statement. Because when you fail, you learn, right? You learn from what, well, if you want to, you learn from the experience and then you know what you did wrong so that you don't repeat the same mistake, hopefully. But then when you don't try, you never know, right? And you know, I think it's from Oprah. I'm not sure if it is, but I remember there was the, the um, you only get what you have the courage to ask for. And um, I think about that as well when I think about these in terms of like applying for stuff putting yourself out there that's how I approach writing it's scary sending your writing to all of these things and applying for all of these opportunities but at the same time what's the worst that happened they will say no or they'll say your writing sucks right but then you can also ask for feedback but you never know until you put the work out there not to say it's not scary it's scary but still um we didn't actually talk about Abel a lot but um there's a there's a quote that says we've talked about men too much anyway but yeah exactly because i feel like we bank on a lot about men in this podcast so no that's why it doesn't deserve this space we just want our communities to do better all of us men and women because we need each other to survive (laughs) yeah let's just um i'll just read the quote so abel wanted a traditional marriage with a traditional wife for a long time i wondered why he ever married a woman like my mom in the first place as she was the opposite of that in every way if he wanted a woman to bow to him, there were plenty of girls back in Sanin being raised solely for that purpose. Ooh, okay. The way my mother always explained it, the traditional man wants a woman to be subservient, but he never falls in love with the subservient woman. He's attracted to mm-hmm. Indian women. Of course. He's like an exotic Of man. course. <laughs> he only that wants title was so funny. <laughs> he only wants a woman who is free because his dream is to put her in a cage. The amount of men were like this. Who would tell you? My auntie was talking about this as well. We're just well, one of my aunties were talking about how a lot of guys will be saying, I was just ranting to her, a lot of guys were telling you, oh, they want a strong, independent woman. Then they marry her and then they say, I don't want you to work. And I'm so confused because when you met me, I was working. When you met me, I was living my life and all of a sudden I shit out home. It's not adding up. It's not. The moral is everybody look for your spec. Keep your eyes wide open. Don't be grateful. Yeah, but sometimes guys think that something is their spec until they marry the person and then they realize that that's not their spec. So please know your spec before you go approach somebody acting like something is your spec. No, no, no. Hold up. How would you not know your spec? Did you not read what the quote said? No, that's my point. It's a bit of hypo. No, that's my point because in this quote it implies that men think men think they can use power and control to force that woman to change. So I'm saying. Use your brain and use find your spec from the early on. There's nothing wrong if you, if you want a woman to sit at home. Just find someone who's happy with that. Everybody's happy. Oh. I agree with you. I'm just saying sometimes when this power dynamics work in somebody's favors, they don't. They, yeah, they don't care. That's they true. just believe in their mind that whatever else. When I marry you, I'll do what I want to do. Let me marry you first, and then you see. Yeah, I feel like we give enough free advice mm-hmm. to men on this podcast. That's how. That's Let how we just label our rant. <laughs> 
Oh my right. god. Last quote. I'm, I'm gonna read the last one because I love the last yeah. one. Trevor. So his mum was speaking to him. Trevor, remember a man is not determined by how much he earns. You can still be the man of the house and earn less than your woman. Being a man is not what you have, it's who you are. Being more of a man doesn't mean your woman has to be less than you. Trevor, make sure your woman is the woman in your life. Don't be one of these men who makes his wife compete with his mother. A man or the wife cannot be beholden to his mother. The smallest thing could prompt her. I would walk through the house on the way to my room and say, hey, mom, without glancing up. She would say, no, Trevor, you look at me. You acknowledge me. Show me that I exist to you because the way you treat me is the way you would treat the woman. You would treat your woman. Women like to be noticed. Come and acknowledge me and let me know that you see me. Don't just see me when you need something. I love it so much. It's a perfect way to end this conversation. I love it. What a woman. What a woman. What a woman. May we all be great mothers, inshallah. May Allah reward our mothers. Amen. Cool. What's the latest book that you're reading? I'm, as you know, I'm always reading. Yeah. Uh, I'm reading of this, our country. Which I I'm saw it on really enjoying. I feel like Goodreads is my new social media. <laughs> It is because I see you there. I'm like, this girl is active. Ah, I'm like, seeing everyone's pages. What are you reading? How's it going? I'm really enjoying. So I've only read three essays so far out of the twenty. Is it twenty something? I think it's about twenty. I'm not sure. Twenty something essays. I'm not sure. But I've read three and I really enjoyed them. Just different experiences and just thinking about Nigeria in a different context and just again Nigeria is a rich country with over I think it's over 250 tribes or something like that it's it's rich so it was it's been quite interesting so far I'm reading this book of short stories called what we talk about when we talk about love by Raymond Carver so he's someone I this is the I think this is the second time I'm reading him but when you when you attend anyway so most of like the creative writing things I'll attend online and like or even the ones that are not like in person but they give you resources to read they always reference him for short stories about how he's really good with short stories and he's very economical with words so I'm checking out one of his collection of short stories to see how that pans out and it's quite interesting but I still feel like maybe I don't know if it's I just feel like there is a detachment personally for me from the characters even though the writing is well done there is mm. not really a connection to the characters most of the time and um, there have been a few where I've been like yay but there's some where I'm like mm. but I guess that's how it is sometimes with short stories and then I'm reading this book called You People by Nikita Lalwani and um, I'm not far into it it's quite an interesting writing style for these two different characters I'm still kind of trying to see how their lives intertwine I know that the two characters work in the same place but so far because I'm not that far in the book I still don't know yet what brings them all together but yeah, that's kind of all I'm reading at the moment. What are you reading? I have questions, by the way, for you from your books, but go on. No, read I finished book. reading Burnt Sugar, which, oh my God. You know, I haven't read that book for a reason. So I'm in, I was, I'm kind of on and off in some book club and they picked it up as one of the books to read at some point. But then it was at a time where I was really busy. And then when I started seeing people's comments pouring in, I was like, oh, what are you saying? <laughs> You're definitely I think it was the same it. problem you had with the ending and like all of some other stuff as well. So I was like, oh, okay, interesting. If you follow the conversations Insta page, you'll see some other stuff there. I was writing about it before we recorded this. Yeah, I'm sorry. You can't build up a book and then end it in a way that I have to go on Google and be like, what was that ending? <laughs> just can't. That's number one rule. Um, I listened to Girl by Kenya Hunt and that was it was how is that? It's on my to read list. It was good. Would you recommend it? Is it worth it? Six hours. It was 
I don't know. I feel like it, ha- it has it, it has its ebbs and flows. I, I enjoyed some parts, didn't enjoy some parts. It depends if you're, yeah, it's it's worthwhile. worthwhile. That's what I would say. The kindness method, I was really, really excited to read, but I've just found my face going? going down. It's about changing your habits through kindness. And I, I love the concept of it. And it has really great exercises. I'm just not feeling it anymore. And I was so excited at the beginning, but I'm like halfway through and I'm just like literally... I haven't read it for the past two days so I'm, I'm gonna finish it because I want to finish it but yeah it's not maybe I'll change my mind later Sha. thank you for joining us on today's episode of book conversations I'll hand it over to you we hope you get benefit from the discussion if you've enjoyed the episode remember to like review comment and share with your friends and family book conversations is available on iTunes Spotify Google Podcast Anchor and a million other <laughs> million other platforms <laughs> Uh, email us your thoughts at bookversationspod at gmail.com and let us know what books you want us to check out till next time remember to remember to read